0: Welcome to the Gazette Fat Checker Podcast. We have actually two exciting checks here for you today. But first, I'm John Steppy, I'm the Gazette's business reporter.
1: I'm Marissa Payne. I'm the Gazette's Cedar Rapids government reporter. I'm Michaela Ram. I cover healthcare for the Gazette.
2: And I'm Erin Jordan. I'm the investigative reporter.
0: And both of our checks are kind of along the similar topic of gun control slash Second Amendment rights. It's been a kind of an area of conversation Considering there's been kind of a flurry of mass shootings so far in 2021, according to the not-for-profit gun violence archive, it's been more than 150 so far this year. And that has caused President Joe Biden to use executive orders to address this issue, among others. Um, and, I mean, that led to various reactions from different politicians. Um Among them is U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson, who represents Iowa's first congressional district. The Marion Republicans sent a statement on April 8th saying the executive order will, quote, trample, end quote, Iowans' constitutional rights. And her claim is, with the stroke of a pen, the president would make it harder to purchase a firearm for self-defense and potentially make millions of lawful gun owners criminals, she said. So first of all, we'll take a look at whether Biden would indeed, quote, make it harder to purchase a firearm for self-defense. So as we always do, we asked each, um, each politician's office for sourcing on these claims. And Hinson's spokeswoman um, pointed to part of Biden's executive order regarding stabilizing braces. Now, you might be wondering, what is a stabilizing bra- brace? I was wondering that myself. It's an accessory that someone can attach to the back end of a firearm to extend it and allow it to be, quote, secured to the shooter's forearm, end quote, or used as, quote, a quasi-shoulder stock, end quote. And that's according to a report from the Congressional Research Service. And it's particularly of prominence right now because a stabilizing brace was allegedly used in the Boulder mass shooting on March 22nd according to Denver Post. So, looking at Biden's executive order, it prompts the Department of Justice to issue a proposed rule for weapons with stabilizing braces to be subject to registration requirements of the National Firearms Act. So that's an act that affects certain weapons but not others. But basically if somebody has a smaller gun, and they attach this, it's now considered with some of these other weapons. But it's also, so then, I mean, that comes with different regulations. And as a result, mean, a registration process in the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives has a seven-month backlog for applications to register weapons under the Firearms Act, according to ATF's website. So that would obviously mean that if somebody wanted to get this registration, it's not something that can happen right away. It's not like, I mean, I can I mean get my weapon from the local sporting goods store and then the stabilizing brace and have that registered the next day. Um, now, it's also worth noting, though, that the vast majority of weapons likely do not have these accessories either, according to national firearm estimates. So that same Congressional Research Service report estimated that there are between 10 million and 40 million stabilizing braces or similar devices in the United States. Now, the Small Arms Survey, a project by the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Geneva, Switzerland, estimated there to be 393 million civilian-held firearms in the U.S., in 2018, and now that does not include military-held weapons or um, law enforcement-held weapons. So when you think about it, that 10 to 40 million out of 393 million is a pretty small fraction there. Now, a different part of the executive order does restrict what they call ghost guns that come in self-assembly kits and do not have serial numbers, which therefore makes it harder for law enforcement to track. But that also does not make it more difficult for someone to, let's say, they decide, hey, I want a weapon for self-defense, and they go to, say, shields and decide to get a weapon. So we give this part of a claim a D. Now, while that's where I had initially, um, I don't know if we want to talk about this first and then go to the second part or just go through the whole thing.
2: Maybe do both of hinson's both parts of Hinson, and then we could talk about her talk okay. about that claim for her claims first
0: so regarding the potential of quote making millions of lawful gun owners criminals, which is the other half of that Hinson claim, the spokeswoman again referred to the part of the order affecting stabilizing braces. she said a t f could hypothetically implement a buyback program or a mandatory registration of the devices they'll now be regulated under the Firearms Act. Now, these are not necessarily things that she's endorsing, just hypotheticals that, I mean, the spokeswoman is bringing up for what maybe could happen to kind of get to this potentially claim. Now, ATF has not yet announced how it plans to implement the order. I mean, it's still relatively early. The Department of Justice, I believe, has 60 days to implement this proposed rule. Now, looking at it, I mean, even with those hypotheticals, that still would be quite a stretch to turn a law-abiding gun owner into a criminal. So, I mean, federal guidance could come out, but someone would then still have to willingly disregard that guidance to then become a criminal. So it's not like all of a sudden, I mean, you have this weapon and then the calendar turns to June 1st or whenever and then all of a sudden you're a criminal. So I was thinking a D for this part of the claim as well, which then the two D's would give this claim a D overall because hints and statements mean stoke fear among a lot of Second Amendment advocates, but there is not much evidence here to back it. And it's not it's misleading to assume that this is it happen to all guns when it's really just the stabilizing braces. That's kind of a small fraction of gun purchases. So now I'm curious to see what you guys think.
2: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you, John. Um, I When I first saw these claims from Representative Hinson, I assumed they were just about, you know, I assumed they were about guns, like most people would, whereas these stabilizing braces are only on a small fraction of firearms. Um, and I assume ghost guns are also a pretty small fraction of um, firearms. So I do think it's kind of fear mongering there. And so let's say the Biden administration did, or the ATF did have a buyback program. Usually those are voluntary um, you know, you get money if you bring it back. It's not like they're going to be going door to door and demanding people stabilizing braces. And if you have one that's not registered, that you're suddenly going to be charged with a criminal violation. I just don't see any of that happening. It hasn't happened in our history. Um, you know, at least in the recent history, <laughs> I I, um, I think the chances, the hypotheticals are, are very very slim. I'm okay with giving a D as opposed to an F because of the tiny chance of that. But, um, I guess I feel pretty strongly that it's mostly false.
1: Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you, Aaron. And just, it, it it's interesting to me that they sort of take an issue with these very small, well, I guess I shouldn't say small, but this it seems to impact a very small number of gun owners. I mean, just because your, um, These accessories aren't registered with NTF. That doesn't mean that they can't use the gun, right? They just aren't able to use these accessories, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, without registering it. So it isn't even like, I mean, you wouldn't be able to use the weapons whatsoever. It's just you couldn't have this accessory attached to it without registering it.
1: Right. So hypothetically, you can still use your weapon for self-defense. It's just the the issue comes if you want to attach that accessory, um, and even then, it it is possible for you to eventually register it. It'll just take some time. It sounds like. Um, it, it's also interesting to me that they seem to be taking issue with restricting ghost guns. It. I guess I maybe need some more context on ghost guns, but my understanding was that they're just like untraceable weapons that can be a big concern for federal officials, right?
0: Yeah. So you don't have serial numbers, and you can assemble it, I believe I read, in as short as 30 minutes. So you can put it together quickly, can't really be traced. So it kind of causes a lot of issues in mm. terms of law enforcement. Which,
1: that's not necessarily restricting, then, a, a gun owner who wants to purchase something at a sporting goods store, like, just because they aren't able to, to yeah, get exactly. these assembly kits doesn't mean that they can't go to their, you know, sporting goods store down the street and, and purchase a gun. So I, I would think that this, but I guess it, you know, maybe it's a kind of Aaron's point that there's a larger concern of the implications down the road. Um, but I do agree that this, this seems to be a lot of fear mongering and mostly false.
3: Yeah. Cause I mean, she's not even citing like a, a legislative analysis or some sort of projection of, you, you know, that this will, um, you know, impact millions of lawful gun owners. And, um, since as we already discussed, like it affects such a, kind of narrowly tailored uh, portion of gun owners and, you know, they have to like, you know, attach this piece to it first before it's even like relevant under um, this proposal. Um, And then as John states, you know, they actually, they have to actually do like a criminal act first or, you know, before they um, become a criminal. So yeah, I, I agree with everything that Michaela and Aaron
1: said. Right. They have to willfully ignore the law. If there is a law, that's the thing. There's not even a law proposed yet. Um, They'd have to willfully ignore it um, in order for them to become criminals. Um, And in that context, that's not, you know, your average Joe who has a a gun for self-defense. Like, ideally, that wouldn't be something that they would have to worry about.
0: Yeah. And I was kind of thinking about it almost like, okay, if they all of a sudden had an order saying that you can't light fireworks off after August 1st. I mean, just because it's August 1st and you have some fireworks in your garage doesn't make you all of a sudden a criminal. I mean, you still have to willfully, I mean, set off the fireworks.
2: And I think, too, about um, using guns for self-defense. Obviously, there's recreational use of firearms and things like that but it seems like these stabilizing braces given the role they've played in some of the mass shootings um don't seem to be like the type of attachment you would put on in a self-defense situation like where someone's breaking into your house or or something like that and it just um it it seems like it seems strange that Henson would make this blanket statement for these types of attachments which um don't seem to be what the bulk of um people who have guns for self-defense or for recreation would have or want to have
1: right it's like the same conversation with bump stocks like i remember when that was a huge conversation around because that was used in another mass shooting and just you know, normal, everyday people who have their handgun for self-defense don't need these type of attachments. If if that was your intent with purchasing the weapon, then these these kind of accessories that make these mass shootings easier to conduct, um, really not something that the everyday American needs at this point, from my understanding. Um, so it is interesting that they've sort of taken this accessory and, and really driven that home as, as a part of this issue.
0: So then are we in agreement here on a D for this part?
1: I agree. I do.
0: Awesome. So then moving on to the second claim here. So another person who has taken issue with that gun control executive order is IO Governor Kim Reynolds. And she was specifically critical in terms of a standpoint of just how many executive orders he's been passing so far. So she said, um, on who radio on april 8th um there's not been another president i don't think in history that has implemented the number of executive orders that this president has implemented so reynolds spokesman referred the gazette to a january 27th politifact fact check of a january 22nd video tweeted by u.s senator marco rubio a republican from florida rubio said in the video at biden quote has issued more executive fiats than anyone in such a short period of time, ever, more than Obama, more than Trump, more than anyone. And effect said Rubio's claim, which was at that point two days after Biden's inauguration, was in fact true. It cited data from the Office of the Federal Registrar that showed more executive orders, 17, from Biden than former President Barack Obama's two, and former President Donald Trump's one in their first two days. Now, records are not as clear about how many executive orders were there from presidents before Franklin D. Roosevelt in terms of that first 100 days, but John Woolley, the co-director of the nonpartisan American Presidency Project at the University of California, Santa Barbara, told PolitiFact previous presidents, quote, simply did not charge into office as prepared for action, end quote, and likely did not have as many executive orders as in Biden's first days. Now, Reynolds did not have a specific time frame for her claim in the WHO radio appearance. Now, the spokesman said an email it was during the early stages of his presidency. Now, that could also include a wide range of times but many listeners likely interpreted Reynolds' statement to be current when she appeared on April 8th. So with that said, Reynolds' claim would have been completely correct had this statement been made in January. But Biden's pace of executive actions has slowed by the time Reynolds appeared on WHO radio April 8th. The American Presidency Project. This is the one at University of California, Santa Barbara. Tracks the pace of executive actions from each of from each president in their first 100 days Mm -hmm. since FDR. Again, the ones before FDR are a little more murky in terms of the timing of okay, was this in the first 100 days? Was this in the first 200 days? Where they have totals for numbers of executive orders, but not necessarily as Time precise for it. So, for all of January and February, Biden outpaced all other presidents for quote, executive orders, memoranda, and substantive proclamations. But about 60 days into Biden's presidency, which is before Reynolds' April 8th comments, the pace of the actions no longer exceeded FDR. Now, it's worth noting that FDR came into office at a very unique time for our country. I mean, he took office during the Great Depression, and he was in office for most of World War II. Now, the American Presidency Project also tracks, quote, executive orders, memoranda, and all proclamations. So the difference there is that includes symbolic proclamations that don't really have much of a governing impact. So something symbolic like National Public Health Week or National Volunteer Week, that isn't necessarily going to change what people can or cannot do. So when including those symbolic proclamations, Biden still has more executive actions than any president since FDR, but this time it's also more than FDR. So if you're using this way to track it, Biden does in fact have more. Now, if you take out the symbolic ones, then you'd say FDR has more. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag of that. Um, Now, I was mentioning earlier how the timing before presidents or before FDR for presidents is a little more murky. The American Presidency Project does track the total executive orders per year for all 46 presidents. So, of course, you have some one-term, one-two-term, and then you have FDR, who is in office for 12 years. But that per year kind of evens that out. And they most recently updated this data April 20th. And at that point, Biden is at pace to sign 160 executive orders per year, according to the American Presidency Project's data. Now, six presidents have... Higher exec, well, I should say had exec higher executive order per year rates than Biden. Taft, Wilson, Harding, Coolidge, Hoover, and Roosevelt. So a little bit of throwback there to US history class there. Um so at one time this claim would have been kind of a I mean textbook A, where yes, there's this data to prove it, but now Reynolds Information is outdated and now only true if you include these proclamations that don't really have much of a policy impact on the country. So I was kind of going back and forth here between a B and a C. I'm leaning towards a C, but interested in hearing what the team thinks here.
2: I just wanted to say um, I like that um, history you have about FDR. I think when we first mentioned that organization that tracks executive orders, We use the phrase since FDR, I think we need to say something like, including FDR, because I was thinking they did it after his term. And then there's this other group that did pre-FDR. And so I'm like, well, where does he fall in that? Um, Yeah,
0: I'll clarify that.
2: I think that would be good. And then... um, you know, because that, I mean, that was part of my confusion, I think, early on. I'm like, wait a minute. So who has the most? And it sounds like what you're saying is with um, the proclamations like about like um, volunteer week or that kind of thing, um, Biden has more. But if you and and he's on pace to have more, I guess, because he's only been in office X amount of time.
0: Yeah. So it's comparing his first however many days to FDRs first, however many days there.
2: Oh, okay. So
0: it's kind of a chart that kind of maps, okay, I mean, this goes at this rate, and then another one goes at that rate. So I realize I'm talking with my hands, which is not very helpful for (laughs) our listeners. So if you're listening, imagine a couple curves on like a line graph, and you kind of get the idea there.
2: Okay, so um, with proclamations, Biden has more in his term of office so far than FDR, who's the next highest. Yes. Okay, without proclamations, if you exclude those, which I could presume that there would be a lot more of those nowadays than maybe there were during World War II. Like, we probably weren't as concerned with, like, let's declare this volunteer month or whatever. Um yeah. So, without the proclamations, FDR had most in his first yeah. uh, so many days. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, that's the comparison between what they call substantive proclamations and then these more symbolic ones, like the National Public Health Weeks, those types of things.
1: Okay. And so, to clarify, then, those substantive doctor- or orders, Biden signed more of those in his early days than any other president has, including FDR, right?
0: Yes, until about that 60-day mark when then FDR took over Okay. Right, the lead there.
1: Okay, gotcha.
0: So at one point, mean, no matter how you'd map it, Biden would have had the most. Mm. But then between 10, that 60-day mark and when Reynolds... Well, after that 60-day mark, then that's when that information from Reynolds became outdated.
2: I also feel like... Um... Just quoting, you know, using the fact check of Marco Rubio is, um, you know, is is not, I mean, we don't think, I don't think we should give much credibility to that because it was at a completely different time. I think it's fine to put it out there, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, people are, you know, you need to make sure your facts are correct when you say them. You know, something in April may not be correct from when it was, uh, you know, in late January. So. Especially
0: because that was, I mean, two days into the Biden presidency when Marco Rubio said this. Now we're, let's see if I can do math, about 90-ish days as we're recording this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot has changed kind of in between that. Um, I mean, he had kind of that whole pile of executive orders That's kind of in a photo that he was signing on, I mean, day one and day two, but then, I mean, a whole lot has happened since then. And I mean, if I'm doing my math right, that's probably around day 75-ish when Reynolds made that comment.
1: Yeah. And it seemed like the spokesman was trying to go back and say like, oh no, she was referring to early presidency when that the context, and and you included this in the fact check, the context of her radio appearance was not that. I mean, she, she made the statement yeah. the day after he signed the executive order about gun control. So listener would ascertain that it was current statement rather than kind of a, a previous statement. Um, I don't know if we'd be interested in this, but I was just curious about this. I wonder if it's worth including the number of proclamations from Obama and Trump. You know, like, this fdr yeah. context is really interesting but i wonder if like a modern president needs to be included just to like
2: oh okay. i don't know but i, I leave it yeah. like at the, the same higher. point right right like say yeah, like at are... 60 days what did trump have and what did obama have or you know at this at kind of early in their presidency like we are for biden mm-hmm. oh okay. is so that what I you're thinking that... Michaela? Yeah, that's what i was thinking
0: so I know that Biden is higher significantly than Obama and Trump. Okay. So um that is one thing that I do know off the top of my head. Um I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head. Um so it is more than recent presidents, but I mean in terms of this look at okay, more than any president ever. That's where kind of this F T. So you're saying like,
3: like overall um that yeah, yeah. even compared to Trump's overall executive orders or you know, Obama's, that Biden has already issued more? Like, do we have those numbers? Because that was one of the things that I was curious about, just because so many of Biden's executive orders are aimed at kind of undoing what Trump did. So, like, you know, in my my mind, it would make sense that Biden, I mean, you know, maybe he hasn't gotten around to everything yet, but it would make sense that um, the numbers there might kind of match up because Biden's, you know, kind of aiming to fix and undo, um, you know, the, the things that Trump um, implemented in office that he viewed as harmful. And, you know, so now now Reynolds can kind of, uh, you know, as a Republican and a Trump supporter, um, she can, you know, take issue with Biden doing this. Um, but essentially, you know, he's kind of just trying to fix like, you know, the things that he felt uh, Trump damaged in office.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I was expecting to maybe see as I was looking at this. And then I saw, okay, Biden really is actually outpacing Trump on this. So it means not just the reversals. Um, now, there is some data out there um, I can't recite off the top of my head about, okay, what are the reversal rates of how many of these orders are simply, I mean, reversing what a past president has done. Um, compared to actually new orders. But in terms of just overall, yeah, Biden is outpacing Trump so far.
2: So what do we think about grades here? I've been thinking about this. I mean, um, there's there's more truth to this, I mean, than the Hinson claim, for example. Um, you know, it, it, it was true at one point. It became less true, as she said it. But he still is in the top um, in terms of these executive orders at this point in his presidency. Um, Is it enough to be half true, half false, which is what we typically say for a C? Or do we think it's slightly more true than it is false, which would be in the B category?
0: This is something I've been conflicted on, so I'm curious to see what the team thinks here.
1: Yeah, I've been going back and forth on this, too. Um, so, I don't know. I'm curious to see what Marissa thinks.
3: I'm, I'm contemplating, too.
0: <laughs> no pressure here.
1: We keep passing the ball to
2: each other. <laughs> I guess I guess just to... I mean, half true, half false. Um, it's really... I don't know i it's really more true than it is false in my mind. um I'd be okay with a b I'd also be okay with a c, but I think I feel a little bit better about a b. I don't know,
1: yeah, that was what I was gonna say when I was reading this the first time, my gut reaction was to bump it back up to a b um because the context still does knock it down a bit um. But you know, even if you just like look at those point in times that you looked at, there is truth to it. It is mostly true. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was that was my gut reaction to go to a B. But I would also be good with a C if we think that context is, you know, should have greater weight than maybe what what I'm initially thinking about. Um, but I, so my answer is, I guess I would be good with with either of those. But my initial vote was for a B.
0: And now that I think about it, I'm kind of now leaning more towards a B because the other thing too is, I mean, it isn't like Biden was, I mean, the 33rd highest in this. I mean, there were, even if you look at the pre-FDR metric of, okay, executive orders per year, I mean, that's the lowest ranking that Biden has in this. And that's seventh. So, I mean, he's still definitely in that. Upper echelon there of executive orders. So while he might not be the most in, I mean, most ways of tracking it, he's still, I mean, up there.
2: All right, Marissa, we were ready for you to throw a grenade in here. I don't know. Because, I mean, the thing that holds me
3: back from being supportive of a B is just like the other presidents at different points have outpaced him. But it's also difficult to judge since you have like, you know, entire presidencies to already assess for, you know, pre-Biden presidents, whereas Biden, you know, here we're just about three months into office. Um, So Yeah, I'm still kind of torn.
0: Yeah, there really are kind of a lot of intricacies here.
2: Well, you know, um, I think about just nuts and bolts. Um, He does have the most orders, and proclamations, correct? Correct. Okay. He does not have the most orders at this point, correct?
0: Correct, yes.
2: Um, but uh, he's, he's number two mm-hmm. in, in that point. So to me, if she's, you know, if she's including all these proclamations, um, she would be right. If she's not including those, she would be wrong, but only off by one person. Which, you know, it, 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 um, it seems to me that would be more true than false.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think when you put it that way, it'd be, it does make sense.
2: No, I mean, I- but you don't have to agree, you know. It's not like a jury, like we don't have to um, get every person <laughs> on our side or it's a mistrial. So I mean, it sounds like we have the majority of the board. Marissa, maybe not a hundred percent sure.
3: No, I mean I do agree with the B, just because I, um, I mean, right. like you well, said, I think it's more. She's more correct than not correct, and a C would indicate that. You know, that it's really kind of like. You know that she was a little more off base than she was.
0: Then okay. I think we are in a consensus here on a B. All right. So we do not have any other claims kind of in the hopper here unless I'm forgetting about anything. So if you are listening and have a claim that you would like to check, send it our way at factchecker@thegazette.com. At Again, that is at thegazette.com. Our podcasts are... Edited by Stephen Colbert. Our fact checks are edited by Craig Jamolis. The music that you hear at the beginning and end here is Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod. I'm John Steffi.
1: I'm Marissa Payne. I'm Michaela Ram. And I'm Erin Jordan.
0: And we will fact check you later.